The week after this election, senior editor of Think Progress, Ned Reznikoff, penned a screed online about his unfortunate experiences with his neighborhood plumber. Here is the harrowing story, as quoted by roving journalist Michael Tracy. He said, quote, Wanted to share an experience from earlier today. This afternoon, I had a plumber over to my apartment to fix a clogged drain. He was a perfectly nice guy and a consummate professional, but he was also a middle-aged white man with a southern accent who seemed unperturbed by this week's news. And while I had him in the apartment, I couldn't stop thinking about whether he had voted Trump, whether he knew my last name is Jewish, and how that knowledge might change the interaction we were having inside my own home. I have no real reason to believe he was a Trump supporter or an anti-Semite, but... In my uncertainty, I couldn't shake the sense of potential danger. This is real, folks. I was rattled for some time after he left. I'm very privileged insofar as this sense of danger is unfamiliar to me, and I know I feel it much less acutely than a lot of other people right now. I'm still a straight white guy who can phenotypically, phenotypically pass for Gentile. Plus, my first name is pretty waspy. This is Ned Resnikoff writing the day after the election, or two days. But today was a reminder that, unambigu- that ambiguous social interactions now feel unsafe and unpredictable in a way they never did before. And even if Trump is gone in four years, I don't expect to ever reclaim that feeling of security. That's just one more thing you voted for if you voted for him. Woo, okay then. Certain radical leftists constantly attribute motives to random people without knowing those people. Plumbers, it turns out, don't want to murder you just because they are plumbers. It turns out many plumbers are even Democrats. People with southern accents are not out to murder Jews en masse. If you feel like you're living in near-Nazi Germany because a random plumber came to your house at your request to fix your shower and then was (gasps) polite but had a different accent and different profession than you, you might be a political hypochondriac. Well, stop hyperventilating and get out a bit more. But the bubble only grows because people only associate with people with whom they agree, particularly on the left. Conservatives were confronted with leftist ideas and leftists personally on a pretty regular basis. There's only one conservative cable news source, Fox News. There's only one major conservative national news publication, The Wall Street Journal. And even there, the reportorial side of of The Wall Street Journal leans left. Hollywood, the universities, ESPN, dominated by the left. Conservatives can't escape leftism. Leftists can escape conservatives. So when their bubble is punctured, they freak out. Out. It's why leftists are far more likely to defriend someone on Facebook for their politics than people are on the right. This sort of paranoia, it means it's going to be kind of difficult to live together. And if you can't hire somebody to unclog your toilet because you're afraid they're secretly a brown shirt, it's going to make it kind of tough to share a political system. Maybe leftists ought to take a step back and recognize that people with whom they disagree, or people they don't even know, aren't the awful evil villains they picture in their heads. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Alrighty, so much to get to today. We are back. Yay! New year. We're back, and this is going to be an exciting year. We have lots planned here at the Ben Shapiro Show, lots of new surprises lurking around every corner. But first, we have to say hello to our, our advertisers, texture.com. So if you are somebody who's addicted to magazines or even reading just individual magazine articles, texture.com is the best. So texture.com is a service that allows you to pick and choose from various different magazines and subscribe basically to a bunch of magazines at the same time and check out their archives. It's normally $9.99 a month, and you get access to over 200 magazines. If you sign up right now at texture.com slash Ben, you get a 14-day 
free trial. So you can check it out, see if you like it. And they have all of the kind of top magazines and everything from sports to news. Uh, they have everything from People Magazine for you or your wife to Time Magazine to Reader's Digest. My wife is a big Reader's Digest fan to Entertainment Weekly. And uh, and if you feel like learning the one million new sex positions, they have Cosmo as well. So they have, they have lots of different magazines that you can access over at Texture.com. And it is a great service. If you're addicted to information like I am, Texture.com is the place to go. Texture.com slash Ben. My wife loves it. I love it. I'm a big fan of the service. Okay, so we come back, and on the day we come back, naturally, the big story is Hollywood, because what would a day be without Hollywood celebrities telling us what to think and what to believe? See, after that election, where 60-some-odd million Americans said that they really didn't care what Hollywood thought, Hollywood went all Kanye West. I'm going to let you finish. We, we, they basically they said, we're going to lecture you, and we said, no, no. And they said, I'm going to let you finish, but here's our lecture. And then they proceeded to lecture us. So we had just celebrity after celebrity at the DNC and celebrity ad after celebrity ad during the election cycle. And now we've had celebrity ads directed at electors. And we've had celebrity ads directed at the press. And we've had celebrity ads directed at everything but the child molesters in Hollywood. Uh, but, you know, they, but they are still not tired of lecturing us because, obviously, if they have a forum, then they must lecture. Well, last night was the Golden Globes. First thing to point out about the Golden Globes. Everyone always says the day after the Golden Globes or the Oscars, God, that, that show was awful. I've been alive for 32 years, 33 next week, and or I've been at least uh, out of the womb for that amount of time. And in that amount of time that I have been sentient, uh, I, I will say that I have never gone to the office the day after one of these big Hollywood events, and people go, wow, the Oscars was great last night, wasn't it? No one has ever said that. So last night's Golden Globes was indeed atrocious, but they're all atrocious because it's a bunch of Hollywood celebrities celebrating each other and telling each other how wonderful they are. And then we're all annoyed because we think that they're not that wonderful, but we go and pay money to see them anyway. And then we watch them on TV congratulating each other. And then we're like, God, those elitists. And then we turn on our TV to watch the elitists congratulate each other. Okay, so it's a little hypocritical, the whole exercise. But I do think that conservatives have a reason to be annoyed when these events are infused with politics. And there are two reasons for that. One is Hollywood is supposed to be our face to the rest of the world, and it was during the 30s, 40s, 50s. It was sort of the American face to the rest of the world. What we presented to the rest of the world as America came out of Hollywood, and still globally, what people think what America is, they think of product from Hollywood because most foreigners have not been to the United States. And so if they think of country America, they tend to think of some movie that was made about country America or a TV show about country America. If they see something about Texas, they're more likely to, to know Texas from a movie like Hell or High Water than they are from having visited Texas. So we all have sort of a stake in the image that Hollywood projects of what America is. And when Hollywood skews solely to one side, I think we have a right to be a little angry. And Hollywood is very insular. Hollywood is not just insular. Hollywood does discriminate against conservatives to prevent that alternative viewpoint from coming out. I wrote a book about this called Primetime Propaganda, and I went basically undercover and talked to a bunch of top Hollywood producers, and they admitted openly to me on tape that, yes, they discriminate against conservatives, and yes, they bias their programming to the left. They thought I was a member of the left because my last name's Shapiro, and I was wearing a Harvard Law baseball cap. So they figured Harvard Law grad with the Jewish last name, got to be a leb, uh, and obviously I wasn't. But Yes, there's discrimination in Hollywood, and that is a reason for conservatives to be upset. That's reason number one. Reason number two is that there used to be in the United States this idea that, yeah, there was politics, and yeah, there was entertainment, but entertainment was, for lack of a better term, a, to use the leftist term, entertainment was sort of a safe space. 
And when you went to the office the day after the World Series, you could talk about the World Series without talking politics. When you watched the football game, you could have over your friends on the other side of the political aisle, and you could have fun talking about sports without having to worry about politics. When you went and you saw a movie, when you watched a season of Game of Thrones, you could watch a season of Game of Thrones and not have to be bothered with whether a head that was on a pike in season one was actually a leftover head of George W. Bush because the producers didn't like George W. Bush. By the way, that actually happened in game in season one of Game of Thrones, a show that I really enjoy. So it's when, when Americans feel like their common spaces are being ripped away from them, when I feel like I can't have a conversation with someone on the left about Game of Thrones because they're going to start lecturing me about Trump, I watch entertainment to get away from that. I do it for a living, right? I don't, I, there's a reason I don't even watch House of Cards. I don't like watching political TV shows because I think that I do politics as a day job. When I watch a TV show, I want to be lost in the escapism of it. If there's a message, I want it to be subtle. Let me tease it out myself. I don't need to be hit over the head with the unsubtle political musings of a bunch of 105 IQ actors. It's not something I'm into. So people have a reason to be upset when they turn on the Golden Globes and you're watching because your wife wants to see all the pretty dresses or because you want to see whether that TV show you liked is going to get any awards. It's very annoying to be slapped in the face with, by the way, you're a bad person. We're going to sit here and tell you you're a bad As we consume your product, you're going to tell me I'm a bad person? We're the ones who watch your shows. We're the ones who put the $20 million in your pocket. Okay, so virtually every, virtually every presenter last night felt the need to mouth off about Donald Trump. This happened over and over. And just to give you an idea, Jimmy Fallon led off by targeting Donald Trump. This is clip six. This is the Golden Globes, one of the few places left where America still honors the popular vote. Uh, but <laughs> Game of Thrones is nominated tonight. How great is that? The show has so many plot twists and shocking moments. A lot of people have wondered what it would have been like if King Joffrey had lived. Well, in 12 days, we're going to find out. And uh, you might remember Manchester by the Sea for being the only thing from 2016 that was more depressing than 2016. <laughs> the film Florence Foster Jenkins is nominated. The character, the character has been dubbed the world's worst opera singer. And even she turned down performing at Donald Trump's inauguration. It's a tough to book. It's tough to book. Of course, as always, the ballots for tonight's Golden Globes were carefully tabulated by the accounting firm of Ernst and Young and Putin. Uh, but here we go. Okay, so again, joke after joke, all of them lame. And people who are watching at home, they might think, okay, well, where were you guys? You didn't make a single joke about Obama for eight years. And in fact, Obama sent a letter to all the celebrities that I think went in their swag bag at the Golden Globes. And it wasn't it really. I'm, 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 that's not a joke. I'm pretty sure that he, he wrote a letter that went to all of the various celebrities. I know he had a big celebrity event on Friday night. He sent a letter to all of them. They partied till 4 o'clock in the morning. That was the first time that anybody at the White House had been awake to take a 3 a.m. phone call is when they were partying with the celebrities. Not with Benghazi, but with the celebrities. Um, but that wasn't all, right? So you have Hugh Laurie. For some reason, Dr. House was there, and uh, he was in The Night Manager. He's a good actor, Dr. Dr. House. But uh, he was there targeting Donald Trump as well. I suppose made more amazing by the fact that I'll be able to say I won this at the last ever Golden Globes. Um, I, don't, I don't mean to be gloomy, it's just that it has the words Hollywood, foreign and press in the title. I just don't know what... Um, I also think that uh, to some Republicans, even the word association is slightly sketchy. Okay, first of all, folks on the left should not rip on freedom of association since it's folks on the left who want to use government to cram down their rules on religious communities. But all of this was just prelude 
to Meryl Streep. So Meryl Streep is the great goddess of Hollywood. Everyone worships at the altar of Meryl Streep. I've never been a particularly big Meryl Streep fan. I think early in her career, she was really good. Uh, and then later in her career, she's gotten very mannered, and you can see the gears turning all the time. And you're always kind of watching her going, wow, she's really good at crying. Right? You, know, you, you never get to the point where you're like, wow, I really feel emotionally affected by her tears. It's always like, wow, she was great when she cried, wasn't she? That was really awesome. In any case... Not a critique of, of Meryl Streep's acting skills uh, as much as a critique of what she said. So last night, she, uh, she does this speech. And her entire speech, it's a Lifetime Achievement Award, and it took a lifetime for her to give the speech, which she goes up there with cue cards, and she rips on Donald Trump for basically about three and a half minutes, four minutes. Uh, and we will go through it, because I think it is important to note why Americans are angry at this. Now, let me say, she has every right to do this. She has every right to do this. It's a free country. I don't think that anybody should be super-duper crazy upset about the fact that an actress in lefty Hollywood gave a lefty Hollywood address to a bunch of other Hollywood lefties. I think it's absurd that the, the left went, what, what an act of heroism. What heroism? It's always amazing. For the left, heroism amounts to saying stuff they agree with. Right? Normally, heroism is bravery in the face of adversity. That's a pretty good general definition. In order for that to happen, there needs to be some adversity. There's not a lot of adversity in a Hollywood crowd of people, precisely two of whom in that entire crowd, voted for Trump. It's like Vince Vaughn and Mel Gibson, right? That's the entire crowd. Um, but, but she, obviously, is the bravest woman who ever lived because she said something in front of a bunch of other Hollywood celebrities while wearing a $12,000 gown and having her hair done and making lots of money to be in movies like Florence Foster Jenkins, which no one have ever, have ever seen. Um, but we will go through all of that in just a moment. First, we have to say hello to our advertisers at DSTLD. So if you need jeans, and jeans are, uh, are your thing. I wear jeans pretty much every day, and jeans are extraordinarily expensive. Uh, you need to go to DSTLD.com right now. DSDLD, they, they have luxury-grade denim starting at 75 bucks. The jeans are really good. They're really comfortable, uh, and they are really quality. They last. You can wash them a lot. I've, I've worn my jeans many a time, and, and they, are, they are very comfortable. Uh, they, they look good. My wife tells me I just look phenomenal in them. Of course, that could be just trying, her trying to get access to the checkbook, but I have no way of telling, so I'll take her at her word. But the jeans themselves uh, are really comfortable. They look really good, uh, and um, so, and they are, they are much cheaper than they would be if you went to a, a top-line store. 75 bucks at DSTLD.com. They ship to you directly. They guarantee the fit. And if they don't fit, they'll send you a new pair until they are perfect, and they will be a staple in your closet for years. DSTLD.com, distilled.com, slash Ben. You go to slash Ben, you get 10 bucks off. So that means you get it for 65 bucks a pair of jeans instead of 75 bucks. Okay, so we'll play a little bit of Meryl Streep's speech, and then we'll, go, and then we'll break for a second. So here is Meryl Streep last night uh, at the Golden Globes going off. Um, thank you, Hollywood Foreign Press. Just to pick up on what Hugh Laurie said, you and all of us in this room really belong to the most vilified segments in American society right now. Think about it. Hollywood, foreigners, and the press. Okay, so first of all, Hugh Laurie has to be sitting there right now. And I love, I love whenever they have the cutaway shots of other adoring actors who, they all hate each other. They hate each other. And they all go to the shots and say, oh, I love Meryl. God, I wish she were dead. I mean, that's, that's when all the faces are always in the audience at these, at these events. But uh, Hugh Laurie has to be steaming. He's like, it was my joke first. Or it was my joke first. And, but in any case, she goes on like this. First of all, quick note, and then we'll go to break. That is that, that she says there that um, Hollywood foreigners and the press are the most vilified people in America. They spent the entire night ripping on the people who live in flyover country. 
They spent the entire night ripping on the rubes who voted for Donald Trump or didn't vote for Hillary Clinton. The entire night. Yes, you're right. I'm sure that you are so vilified. People hate you so much, Meryl Streep. What a victim you are. Oh, poor baby. And the idea the press is vilified. Yeah, the press is vilified. I'm part of the press. It turns out that a lot of the time we deserve the vilification. Sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we fib. Sometimes we lie. And we deserve that. But the idea that being vilified is the end of the world, look, you guys vilify Trump at every opportunity. So if we're going to talk, just if, if you're going to dish it out, you got to take it a little bit. And this whole we're victims because people are mean to us routine gets a little old when everybody in this room could buy the entire rest of America three times over. It's a little bit galling to hear these, these, these limousine socialists talking about how vilified they are, how rough it is for them. Okay, well, we have to break there on Facebook and YouTube, but we will continue over at the Daily Wire, and you can uh, and you can subscribe right now for eight bucks a month at dailywire.com to become an annual subscriber. I think we're in the final days of our deal where we send out signed copies of my novel, True Allegiance, uh, and we have a, a Shapiro store coming up. I think a Shapiro store, a Clavin store, those are both coming. You can get access to the rest of the podcast visually, plus you can become part of the mailbag. We have lots of goodies coming. If you become a member, eight bucks a month will get you access to dailywire.com, so go over there and subscribe right now, or listen to the rest of the podcast later on iTunes or SoundCloud, or do both preferably, um, but check us out. We are the largest conservative podcast in the United States. All righty, so to continue with Meryl McStreep. So Meryl Streep uh, continues along these lines, and she, she feels the need to talk about how Donald Trump is just the worst thing that ever was and just drone on about it. Here she is. But who are we? And, and you know, what is Hollywood anyway? It's just a bunch of people from other places. I was born and raised and educated in the public schools of New Jersey. Viola was born in a sharecropper's cabin in South Carolina, came up in Central Falls, Rhode Island. Sarah Paulson was born in Florida, raised by a single mom in Brooklyn. Sarah Jessica Parker was one of seven or eight kids from Ohio. Oh, Amy so Adams was born in Vicenza, Veneto, Italy. And Natalie Portman was born in Jerusalem, where are their birth certificates? What? Wait, wait. Are they running for president? I missed that part. Also, notice for a second, pause it. And the beautiful Ruth Nega was born. Pause for a second. I love when Meryl Streep says that Natalie Portman was born in Jerusalem. She doesn't say she was born in Jerusalem, Israel, right? Because she's a lefty. So she can never say she was born in Jerusalem, Israel. But again, I don't understand what makes you a foreigner about being born in New Jersey or Brooklyn or in a sharecropper's house in the South. That means you were born here. But continue on, tottering old lady. Born in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, raised in London. Oh, we're going to get the. No, the in Ireland, I do believe. And she's Christ. here nominated for playing a small town girl from Virginia. Ryan Gosling, like all the nicest people, is Canadian. <laughs> and Dev Patel was born in Kenya. Raised in London, is here for playing an Indian. My goodness. Raised in Tasmania. This speech so took Hollywood three years. She went through every single person in the and room. Foreigners. And if we kick them all out, you'll have nothing to watch but football and mixed martial arts, which are not the arts. Yay! We hate football. Woo! Mixed martial arts, suckers. <laughs> Okay, pause right there. These are the vilified people, right? All these people who are cheering each other, these are the vilified. Look what bravery. I mean, can't you see how she's fending off the protesters who are going up there to pummel her? Oh, wait, that's not happening? 
So it's not bravery. It's just her saying things to a bunch of people who cheer her and approve. Oh, yeah, there's that. But I, I do love the idea that these are the most vilified people on earth. And then, she's, and then she immediately feels the necessity to rip into football and the MMA, which are only the two most popular sports in America right now in all likelihood. Uh, she, like, there, there are some people who watch those things. And there are some of us who think, by the way, that you know, not to, not to rip on anybody who was nominated this year, but there are some people who, who think that LeBron James is a better actor than Ben Affleck, uh, at least when he's faking fouls. In any case, Meryl Streep continues. They gave me three seconds to say this, so. An actor's only job is to enter the lives of people who are different from us and let you feel what that feels like. And there were many, many, many powerful performances this year that did exactly that, breathtaking, compassionate work. But there was one performance this year that stunned me. It, it sank its hooks in my heart, not because it was good. It was, there was nothing good about it. But it was effective, and it did its job. It made its intended audience laugh and show their teeth. It was that moment when the person asking to sit in the most respected seat in our country imitated a disabled reporter, someone he outranked in privilege, power, and the capacity to fight back. It, it kind of broke my heart when I saw it, and I still can't get it out of my head because it wasn't in a movie. It was real life. And this instinct to humiliate, when it's modeled by someone in the public platform, by someone powerful, it filters down into everybody's life because it kind of gives permission for other people to do the same thing. Disrespect invites disrespect. Violence incites violence when the powerful use their position to bully others we all lose okay we can stop it there so in any case she she, she goes on like this she goes on like this uh, i i you know i, I want to point out that she does say right there that the job of the actor is to act and then she gets up and lectures us on morality which is really kind of a little bit beyond her beyond her borders but you know she has every right to do that and i don't think that she's wrong when she ripped when she rips, you know, Trump saying this stuff about disabled reporters, I will say she's a bit of a hypocrite. Uh, this is a lady who has obviously had no problem with people like Roman Polanski. Here is video. Uh, do we have the picture of, of, of Streep applauding Polanski from 2003? Here is Roman Polanski winning an Oscar in 2003, the not, not alleged convicted rapist of a 14-year-old girl, 13-year-old girl. And here is uh, Meryl Streep. You'll see her in the audience. And the Oscar... Goes to Roman Polanski for the pianist. And there is Meryl Streep in the background. You can see her right there in the background cheering for Roman Polanski. Just really, you know, this is, this is a lady who obviously has very high standards uh, with regard to the sorts of people with whom she will associate. So she goes off on Trump. Everybody loses their mind over all of this. And this raises a couple of questions. First of all, it means we have to revisit the whole Trump mocking the reporter shtick because Trump immediately starts tweeting. And here is what Donald Trump tweeted. 
He tweeted, quote, Meryl Streep, one of the most overrated actresses in Hollywood, doesn't know me, but attacked last night at the Golden Globes. By the way, I was, um, two things. I was, number one, very uh, excited to see Donald Trump rip into the Golden Globes. I thought that was going to be lots of fun. It turned out to be not as much fun as I thought it was going to be, so I was, I was mildly disappointed. I mean, if we're going to get, like, celebrity tweet storms, can we at least get good ones? Uh, also, I did call on the nose last night that he would write three and precisely three tweets about the Golden Globes. So I may have gotten the election wrong, but I got this right. So here is, he said, Meryl Streep, one of the most overrated actresses in Hollywood, doesn't know me, but attacked last night at the Golden Globes. She is a Hillary flunky who lost big. For the 100th time, I never mocked a disabled reporter, would never do that, but simply showed him groveling when he totally changed a 16-year-old story that he had written in order to make me look bad. Just more very dishonest media. Okay, so... A couple of things. One, should Trump be responding this way? Whatever. He's Trump. He's going to. If you're not used to it by now, you never will be. Whatevs. Uh, second, did Trump actually insult the, the reporter? We'll let you be the judge. Here is the video of, of when Trump actually did this. They said, Senator Cruz, what do you no, think of waterboarding? Uh, Written by a nice reporter. Now the poor guy, you got to see this guy. Oh, I don't know what I said. Oh, I don't remember. He's going like, I don't remember. I had the, oh, maybe that's what I said. Okay, so that was him. Uh, if, you, if you remember the picture of Serge Kovaleski, who is the, the reporter from the New York Times, uh, his arms are very similar. He has a, he has a genetic disease that, that keeps his arms locked at his sides in almost precisely the position that Trump does there. Uh, his, some of Trump's defenders, let's be completely fair, some of Trump's defenders say that Trump wasn't actually doing that, that Trump does this sort of arm motion uh, about lots of people. Like, for example, he does it about Senator Cruz, it seems. They said, Senator Cruz, what do you think of waterboarding? Oh, uh, I don't want to talk about it. You know, he didn't, he didn't want to talk about waterboarding because too controversial. And I'm saying to myself, they're okay. chopping off. So heads. He, he you saw the motion there. Pretty similar. Uh, I think there's a case to be made that uh, on second viewing, there's a case to be made that he was mocking the reporter, but not for his disability. I think there's a strong case to be made that he was mocking the reporter for his disability. This lasts for approximately one second. He keeps going on the Kovaleski thing for several seconds. In any case... Is this old news? Yeah, it's old news. This happened all the way back in, like, what, September of 2015? So this is a little bit old news, but the left is still going on and on about it, and they're losing people. This is the thing. They're really stupid because the more they lecture Americans about how morally wrong it was to vote for Trump, how terrible Trump is as a human being, the more they're losing people. It's as though they didn't learn the lessons that Republicans learned from Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was a legitimately terrible human being, but because he was a lovable rogue, everybody sort of ignored the fact that he was a molester. And with Trump... Trump does stupid, bad things like this, if you think that what he did was actually mocking the reporter. And, you know, I tend to think that it probably was. And when he says I would never do something like that, I just think, well, he did mock John McCain, right, who's an actual POW. But it doesn't even matter. The bottom line is that for the left, I mean, it matters morally, but it doesn't matter with regard to this argument. For the left, the more they attack Trump this way, the less they're helping themselves, the more it actually hurts them. And it's, it's really not particularly smart. Now, that doesn't mean that the trollery from the Trump camp isn't over the top. So the, the trollery from the Trump camp is really over the top. Kellyanne Conway uh, is, uh, is, is out there defending Trump, and she, uh, she gave a couple of talking points that really are not particularly good. Here is hers. Uh, here is a talking point attacking Meryl Streep. I'm concerned that somebody with a platform like Meryl Streep is, is also, I think, inciting uh, people's worst instincts when she won't get up there and say, I didn't like it, but let's try to support him and see where we can find some common ground with him, mm -hmm. which he actually has done for a moment. God, one. She is such a troll. 
I mean, she's she's good at what she does, but man, is she a troll. Meryl Streep is inciting people's worst instincts for saying things that that you know pretty much all of the lefties are saying right now. Trump's a bad guy, and we don't like him, and want to hold him accountable, and all this kind of stuff. That's inciting people's worst instincts. I mean, not to rehash the campaign, but let's just be a little intellectually honest here. And then she also goes after Streep for not shouting out the disabled kid in Chicago who is who is beaten up. Uh, here is here is uh, Kellyanne Conway talking about that. All right, Kellyanne, what's your reaction? Well, my initial reaction is I'm glad that Meryl Streep has such a passion for the disabled because I didn't hear her way in, and I didn't hear her even use her platform last night, Ainsley, to give a shout-out to the mentally challenged boy who last week was tortured live on Facebook for half an hour by four young African-American adults who were screaming racial and anti-Trump expletives and forcing him to put his head in toilet water. Okay, so, so you stop like it there. Okay, so this is – so should Meryl Streep say something about that? Sure, everyone should say something about that. It was disgusting. It was evil. It was racism. It was a hate crime, even though the left – many on the left tried to proclaim that it was just stupid, stupid people doing stupid things. When a white kid is racist, it's, it's racism. When a black kid is racist, the left declares it stupidity. Okay, all of that is true, but the sort of whataboutism – that Kellyanne Conway routinely engages in makes politics dumber. And the left does it too. Okay, every time Trump gets called out, she goes, yeah, but what about? When, so, so if indeed she's accepting that Meryl Streep is defending the disabled reporter, then why didn't Meryl Streep also defend this disabled person? Well, she can choose to defend what she wants. That doesn't change the, the thrust of what she's saying. Again, I'm just trying to be intellectually honest here. This is not to justify Meryl Streep's asinine remarks last night while apparently being attacked by a mirror um, but it is it is to point out that, that these sorts of defenses are extraordinarily weak. Okay, moving on from, from the Golden Globes yesterday. Meanwhile, over the weekend, there was another terrorist attack in Israel. This time there was a truck driven by a Palestinian terrorist, a Palestinian Muslim terrorist, uh, who decided that it would be great fun to roll over a bunch of Israeli soldiers, killed four of them, including, uh, including two American citizens. Uh, here is some video of the attack. You can see the truck in the background just rolling over these, these Israeli soldiers uh, and, of course, dragging them and killing them. And then the truck starts to back up because this, uh, this evil terrorist intends on killing people by backing over them. Uh, and then the, the terrorist was shot to death, thank God. Uh, the terrorist was shot to death. But uh, I want to point out that the, the hypocrisy of the media when it comes to attacks like this. So here are headlines uh, from the Associated Press. Man in Brazil breaks into house and fatally shoots his ex-wife, their 8-year-old son, and at least 10 others. Man drives car into crowd in Austria and kills three, including 4-year-old, and injures 34 others, officials say. And then, truck rams into group of Israeli soldiers in Jerusalem, killing four people, wounding 15. You see how the agency of terrorism is completely gone. When it comes to the Jews, and when it comes to terrorism generally, actually, because they did this with Berlin, they did this with Nice, it was the truck itself that had committed the crime. The truck itself did something truly evil. This is where the media really deserves all the scorn heaped upon it. The truck itself didn't do anything. It was the terrorist behind the wheel who did something. And the media treatment of this particular story itself was ridiculous. It didn't get anything like the sort of play that truck attacks in Nice and truck attacks in Berlin got because the media and the left generally have a stake in suggesting that terrorist attacks against Israel are different than terrorist attacks against the rest of the West because it's all the Jews' fault, right? If we would just convince the Jews to give up to the Arabs, then suddenly everything would be hunky-dory and all of the terrorism everywhere would stop as opposed to facing down the reality that Jews being murdered in Jerusalem by Arab terrorists, by Muslim terrorists— 
more precisely, that that is more uh, that that is just part of the same generalized war radical Islam is waging against Judeo-Christian peoples. And by the way, that's exactly what it is. I mean, look at the the picture uh, of of Hamas celebrating. Hamas is the governing group in the in the Gaza Strip, uh, and you can see they were holding a rally, they were holding uh, they were holding uh, celebrations, they were handing out candy at the uh, at the wake. For this, for this terrorist, and yet people are suggesting that this is all about Jews building extra bathrooms uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, again, just the, the video speaks for itself. There's a reason why the, why the Palestinian Muslim population voted for Hamas in the Gaza Strip, and it is not because they are great moderates who are interested in peace. Uh, in other headlines, in other headlines, uh, the the Russian election stuff continues apace. I guess Donald Trump is going to come out with a plan. He says now that his plan on Russia is uh, is forthcoming. So we'll wait to comment on that until uh, until a little bit later. I think uh, I do want to save something on that for for the stuff I hate segment. Um, but. Before we get to things I like and things I hate, we have to talk about Barack Obama leaving. That's a thing that I definitely like. So Barack Obama's leaving, and we saw the celebrities earlier celebrating, very, uh, very eager to party with Barack Obama as he leaves. Uh, apparently, they, they cut a star-studded farewell video the White House presented to Barack Obama. Here are these celebrities. And then they wonder why it is that we don't pay attention to them when they lecture us about morality after having celebrated Barack Obama, who is a scandal-ridden executive, executive tyrant. Uh, th- this is the video that the White House released for Obama, studded with celebrities who love Barack Obama. In the past eight years, we have seen historic moments that prove, yes, we can create progress. That's what it says. What's a moment that, can, that made you say, yes, we can? 2009, Inauguration Day. The inaugural ball. They walked out. She had on that gorgeous white dress. Oh, what's the guy's name? Luther. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Knocking on the Oval Office window, Jerry I would Seinfeld. say. That was probably the peak of my entire existence. And you really felt... Kerry Washington. You know, you felt those first three words of the Constitution, we the people. Like, it was one of those first times in my life that I felt like I was really part of that we. My Obama moment was when I received this letter from President Obama last year welcoming me to become a U.S. citizen. When I was at the U.N. and I... Leonardo DiCaprio. You know, I heard... Our president say that climate change is the most important issue facing not okay, only this so generation. How did we possibly get a celebrity president? How could that have happened? It's a mystery. And why exactly wouldn't people pay attention to these celebrities? Who knows? Who knows? These are mysteries that we may never be able to solve. Barack Obama, by the way, on his way out, is trying to set the agenda for Trump. It's not going to work, I hope. Uh, here's Barack Obama saying that Donald Trump is going to be the savior of Obamacare. I'm skeptical that they can do it mainly because for seven years now, including when we first tried to pass health care, I said to him, okay, if, if this doesn't work, tell me what does. It may be called something else. I, and, and as I said, I, I, don't, I don't mind. If, in fact, the Republicans make some modifications, some of which I may have been seeking previously, but they wouldn't cooperate because they didn't want to uh, make the system work. and relabel it as Trump care. I'm fine with that. Okay, so now he's trying to appeal to Donald Trump's ego and say, just change the name of it and then leave it the way it is. Uh, I don't think that's going to work. Apparently, Trump is working with Rand Paul, which is a really good sign. Senator Rand Paul's plan for appealing and replacing Obamacare uh, is is apparently quite good, uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing the details. Obama is so delusional. One of the things that's so glorious, and I said this last year, one of the things that's so glorious about 
Obama being replaced with Trump is that Trump reflects to Obama what Obama actually is, but what Obama never wants to accept he is. Obama thinks he is this grand, glorious statesman. He's not vulgar. Uh, he's not stupid. He's not a celebrity politician. He's a statesman. Uh, and here's Trump replacing him, and they're basically two of a kind. They're, they're very similar personality-wise. Uh, they are very thin-skinned. They are very celebrity-driven. Uh, I mean, just look at that video again, but here's Obama refusing to accept the reality. He says, Trump and I were opposites. He has not spent a lot of time uh, sweating the details of, you know, all the policies that... Uh, Does that worry you? Well, I think that can be both a strength uh, and a weakness. I think it depends on uh, how he approaches it. If, he, if it gives him fresh eyes, then that can be valuable. Uh, but it also requires you knowing what you don't know and putting in place people who uh, do have the kinds of experience and background uh, and, and knowledge that can inform good decision making. And uh, look, I, I, I'm, I think it's fair to say that he and I are, are sort of opposites in some ways. Uh, Voters often do that, don't they? Yeah. but. Um, Look how scornful he so, is. Look so let's say Trump. I'm on the, the policy wonk end of the spectrum. As much as I can dive into a briefing book and really work uh, to, to master uh, various subjects that come before my desk, I'm still not an expert on a huge amount of the stuff that okay, we, stop it we there. work he, on. Now all of a sudden, some, some long missing humility. I'm still not an expert on this stuff, but I'll tell you how to buy your health care. Again, the reason that Donald Trump exists is as a living rebuke to Barack Obama's presidency and to Barack Obama as a human being. He was a celebrity president. He's replaced by a celebrity president. And good riddance. In breaking news, apparently, as one of his final acts, Barack Obama is going to be sending literally 116 tons of uranium uh, to, uh, to, the, to the Iranians in order to make them comply with the deal for some odd reason. Uh, we'll bring you updates on that tomorrow. Okay, time for some stuff I like and then some stuff I hate on this inaugural 2017 show. So, things I like. Over the break, I had a chance to read many, 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 many books. Uh, and one of the books which I read was a book called The Upside of Inequality. And this is a, a really good book. Uh, it's by Edward Cunard. He is the um, he was an advisor at Bain Capital, I believe. And he the, the part of the book that's really good is about one third of the book where he talks specifically about debunking the myth that there's no um, that there's no income mobility in the United States. He really goes through that. He talks about the idea that trade kills jobs. Uh, he talks about the idea that inequality is in essence, it's very essence bad. That's not true. Is his argument? His argument is that. One of the things inequality does is it means that people who engage in in behaviors the market rewards, those people are rewarded more heavily, and that encourages people to take risks so that they can jump to that next level. And that's a good thing because those people end up creating the jobs and technologies that make all of our lives better. Uh, it's, it's a really informative, interesting book. You may not agree with every aspect of his argument, but it's, it's filled with data points that are really good, especially if you're arguing with sort of Bernie Sanders leftists who argue that the only countries that thrive, the only countries where innovation survives, are ones where there's income equality. That is eminently untrue. Edward Kennard is the author, The Upside of Inequality. Okay, other things 
the other things that I like. So Rick Santelli, who you may remember, he's from CNBC. Uh, he was the guy who almost got the Tea Party started. He was the one who said on national TV, we should just start a Tea Party out here uh, and, and redefine the relationship between government and the economy. Uh, he was on NBC, and he ripped into the media, and it was pretty delicious. You know, if Hillary didn't have her email problem, and we didn't go back to 2009 and see whether it was Lindsey Graham or John McCain make a bigger issue out of all the hacking that was going on. When Target gets hacked, I don't hear people saying, hey, was it Kohl's? Was it Walmart? It doesn't matter. There was a hack, you deal with it. I think that what's going on here is really so politically driven. It doesn't matter who did what when. Working with Russia, we work with Iran. Are they our friends? You have to take each situation uniquely. Listen, the president-elect has a boatload of issues. I agree with the pull of his ego, but I think that we're the media, the media in general, is just being quite unfair here. Why is this, wait, 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 why is this a media <laughs> issue? Why is it a media issue? This is why don't we, why don't we focus the intelligence community? Oh. It was all of this when the DNC was hacked in June. See, this wasn't made an issue because it would have put the emails in Hillary's server right in the middle and thick of it. That's why this went under the radar screen. This well, is all tied together. Well, state state Listen, it's not normal state to, to see Russians happy because Trump won on election night, I never saw you so unhappy. You pick sides. Everybody picks sides. Pick sides. That's not true, Rick. Oh, That's sides, just right? not true. It really is not. In this and let's, not let's, not let's get back to the facts about here. The Russians are the facts. We've been seeing entities from we were hacking Merkel's phone everybody Rick, does it Rick, here's the difference what we do it they do it what this is what made this different is that the Russians weaponized it by transferring okay, it so to the, intermediaries. the point that I like here that Santelli makes and I'm not I don't like all of his points but the one that he says where I've never seen you guys so unhappy as you were the night of the election and then all the journalists go no no how did yeah Really? Now, you people were almost on the verge of tears the entire election night. It was really delicious to watch. Even as somebody who did not vote for Trump, it was wonderful to watch the media melt down over Trump's election. And it continues to be a sign of wonder and happiness for, I think, everyone involved. It's, it's pretty much a wonderful thing. Uh, we have to say hello to our advertisers of Birch Gold. Uh, if you're concerned about where the economy is going, or even if you think the economy is going to go really well, but you think that uh, the, the stock market is inflated, then you need to go over to our friends at birchgold.com. Go to birchgold.com. Dot com slash Ben and get all the information about investing in precious metals. You should at least have part of your portfolio in precious metals. You can go to birchgold.com slash Ben. They can also help you move your 401k or your IRA uh, into precious metals. They are the precious metal IRA specialists, uh, and uh, they have an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. They're the people that I would trust to invest with precious metals. Ask all your questions. Make sure you get them all answered. And then when you're ready to invest in precious metals, talk with my friends over at birchgold.com slash Ben, and they have a 16-page kit uh, that they will send you about how to invest and why it's worthwhile investing in precious metals, birchgold.com slash Ben. Okay. Other things that I like, I came back in a good mood from Hawaii because when you just disconnect from politics largely uh, for a while, it's nice to, it's nice to come back and re-engage. Um, other things that I like, the unusual number of things I like on today's program, uh, the, there was only one funny aspect to the Golden Globes last night, apparently, uh, and that was Kristen Wiig and Steve Carell did a bit at the Golden Globes, and here's what it looked like. Good evening, peers and regular people. Steve and I play characters in the Despicable Me movies. Also, we get our hair cut together. Sometimes we say, I'll do that. Yeah, and I'll say, I'll do that. I'll just take what he has. I'll have what she's having. Like the orgasm. 
We are so happy to present Best Animated Film this evening. Yes, because we all love animated films. Do you remember the first time you saw an animated movie? I do, actually, very well. Um, it's kind of a big deal. I was six years old, and my dad took me to see Fantasia. It was astounding. The music, the spectacle of the whole thing, it was kind of a, a life-changing experience. Yeah, it's a classic. And as we were leaving the theater, there, standing in the lobby, was my mom. And that was the moment she told my dad that she wanted a divorce. <laughs> I never saw my father again after that day. Fantasia Day. <laughs> What about you? What was the first animated film you saw? Uh, Bambi. Um, March 14th, 1981. It was the same day we had to put our dogs down. Three of them. Little Jack, Janet, and Chrissy. My grandpa thought it would be fun to go to the movie, you know, take our minds off of it, but then, um, you know. So, uh, you know, Bambi's mom. And, uh, and also, that was the last day I saw my grandpa. <laughs> he disappeared. He disappeared. I didn't speak for two years. <laughs> and the nominees are... <laughs> See, wouldn't it be great if that were the whole Golden Globes? First of all, they should host it next year. Um, but that actually was very funny. See, Hollywood people doing things they're talented at, not giving political speeches. Yay! Isn't that nice? Okay, time for some things that I hate. And... Oh, I'm so eager. Uh, the hatred is coming back with the vengeance. So, let's begin with this story. Uh, a transgendered person is suing a Catholic hospital for performing, refusing to perform a hysterectomy. Gianni Conforti was born female but decided to have her breasts removed in 2014, 10 years after deciding to present as a man, filed suit against St. Joseph's Hospital in Patterson, a Catholic hospital in New Jersey, for refusing to allow a surgeon to perform a hysterectomy. The Washington Post reports the suit charges St. Joseph's Hospital violated state and federal anti-bias laws by refusing to perform the surgery. St. Regional St. Joseph's responded by saying it's a leading Catholic healthcare institutions, and their guidelines say they will encounter requests for medical procedures contrary to the moral teachings of the church. Catholic healthcare does not offend the rights of individual conscience by refusing to provide or permit medical procedures that are judged morally wrong by the teaching authority of the church. Now, the best part of this particular story is the Washington Post coverage of this particular story. So the Washington Post coverage of this particular story is really quite spectacular. I have to find the exact line because it's the best. It says, quote, 
In the latest salvo, in an intensifying battle over the Obama administration's controversial efforts to expand transgender rights, Gianni Conforti alleges in the suit that St. Joseph's Hospital in Patterson violated state and federal anti-bias laws by denying the procedure in which his female reproductive organs would be removed. Let me read that last part again. In which his female reproductive organs would be removed. His female reproductive organs would be removed. If this sounds contrary to science... Like, why would a dude have female reproductive organs? That's because dudes don't have female reproductive or organs, and that is stupid. And yet the entire media are now saying, like the headline, transgender man sues Catholic hospital for refusing surgery. Okay, well, if he's a dude, why do he need to have his hysterectomy done? I'm confused. This does not make sense according to the science, as they like to say. But, uh, again, science has nothing to do with any of this. It's all politics. Uh, everybody knows that this man is not a man, it's a woman, because men don't have female reproductive organs. And no matter how many times you repeat stupidities like men have reproductive organs of females also, then it's, it's still not true. And science disagrees with you. Also, one of the great idiocies of Obamacare is they say that healthcare providers cannot discriminate on the basis of sex, which makes no sense, because if a man walks in and wants a pap smear, it's going to be kind of awkward. Just saying. Okay, other things that I hate. So along the same lines, uh, the new face of Maybelline, uh, they're calling him Beauty Boy. Uh, this is what he looks like. And yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So, it's, uh, the, the new face of Maybelline is not a woman, because not like women are the vast majority of the people who actually purchase the product, but it's Manny Gutierrez. So he is uh, the, the leader of the Big Shot Mascara campaign along with two females. Uh, and... Um, he made his fame online. He has 3 million followers on Instagram. He has 2 million subscribers and 91 million views on YouTube because he does makeup. Uh, and now he is the leader of the Maybelline modeling. Now, suffice it to say that I do not think that it is good for the self-image of young boys, uh, that the head of the Maybelline campaign uh, is a dude. Uh, not because dudes don't wear makeup sometimes, because they do. Not because there aren't drag queens, because there are. But because if I'm walking around in the mall with my five-year-old son, when my son in four years is five years old, when he, he's a little boy, and when he's walking around and he looks up and he says, Daddy, why is that man the head of an advertising campaign with, he'll be very sophisticated in his use of language. <laughs> Daddy, why is, that, why is that gentleman the head of an advertising campaign for female makeup? And I say, because he is doing something that is traditionally not only female, but not really something that lots of dudes do. It's just weird marketing by Maybelline. It really is just pandering to the left. So look, Maybelline can do whatever it wants. Do I think it's the world's biggest deal? No. Do I think that putting images of men in drag uh, in, in lots of public places is, is a wonderful thing for sexual differentiation for young people? No, I don't think that that's a good thing either. I think that sex roles are important. I think reinforcement of sex roles uh, is an important thing. And I think that uh, a culture that refuses to reinforce sex roles uh, is doomed to a lot of gender confusion, which is not good uh, psychologically for lots of kids, and it's not good mentally for a lot of kids. Uh, and that's worth noting. Again, does that mean there should be censorship? Of course not. Does it mean Maybelline should be boycotted? No, I don't think so. Um, but it does mean that there are downsides. Like, the, the society just celebrates this sort of stuff as not only uh, normal but, but praiseworthy. This is something that ought to make headlines for bravery. 
I do not think that that is the case. I think that there are downsides to a society that decides that men and women don't have distinct functions in society uh, and that they don't uh, have – there aren't traditionally male things and traditionally female things. I think that that is uh, not a good message to be promoting to children particularly. I think adults can handle it. Uh, things, uh, Other things that I hate. Kellyanne Conway uh, said something that I thought she, – she, she is just a cave troll. I mean, she's not just a troll. She's a cave troll. Uh, Kellyanne Conway uh, was uh, was on CNN, and she was talking about the Meryl Streep thing, and she dropped this one particular line that I just think is astonishing. Here she is. You can't give him the benefit of the doubt on, on this, and he's telling you what was in his heart. You always want to go by what's come out of his mouth rather than look at what's uh, in his it's heart. A okay, you always want to go by what comes out of his mouth rather than what's in his heart. I am not a cardiologist. I assume that's what, what, what is in his heart is a little bit of plaque buildup. I do not know what's in his heart. I only know what comes out of his face. This is the language of worship. It is not the language of political analysis. I don't care what's in his heart. I care what he does. I care what he says. I don't care how he feels. And the idea that I'm supposed to grant him the benefit of the doubt based on his feelings that I can't identify because he's never spoken them, I think that that is silly towns of the highest order. I think that if an Obama defender said that sort of thing, we would all say, you have to be kidding me. If Barack Obama screwed up Benghazi and then said, you have to know what was in his heart, we would have all gone, what in the hell are you talking about? I don't care what was in his heart. I care whether the phone was in his hand and he was making the right orders at the time. Uh, th this sort of thing ain't going to go very far once Trump is actually president of the United States. Uh, another thing that I hate, Tucker Carlson. I told you there was plenty of hatred building up over the last two weeks. You know, two weeks of happiness and break, that doesn't come without a cost. And, uh, and hatred and rage return with a vengeance. Kel uh, so, so Tucker Carlson is about to take over Megyn Kelly's new show. Congratulations to him on Fox News. Tucker Carlson did an interview last week that I, I just felt the need to do a little bit of, of throwback, even though this is a few days old, uh, and point out. Tucker Carlson, uh, is he sort of does a Jon Stewart routine on his show. And the Jon Stewart routine is he does the face of bemused, bemusement. He does this kind of puzzled bemusement face. Like, I can't believe he'd be so stupid as to say that. It doesn't matter what the person's saying. He sort of does the puzzled bemusement face, and then he laughs off any legit point that's being made, even if the point that's being made is perfectly legitimate. He does it to people on the left. He does it to people on the right. It's really kind of galling. And here he is going at it with Gary Kasparov, who is the, who, who is the Russian dissident, anti-Putin dissident, and chess master. Uh, and uh, this interview, I thought, was just totally agrees. This is clip 15. Do we, do we have clip 15? Yeah. That. And the retaliation uh, was too, you know, too little and too late. So... There's the face of amusement for Tucker. When I say the, the, the bemused face for Tucker Carlson, there's the, the face of puzzled bemusement that he has now trademarked with the, with the Library of Congress. The real cost is that in the eyes of people in Gambia and Burma and Buenos Aires, we are weak. Look, and you know, so again, again, this is, don't try my geography. The problem is not, you know, Gambia and Buenos Aires. The problem <laughs> okay. is France, G Germany, the United Kingdom, Baltics, Eastern Europe, uh, Turkey, you know, the price that America will pay for, for, a, for an attempt to walk away by the what that's what we did will be huge. And, uh, and Tucker Carlson then laughed at him and said, if I have a 19-year-old, why should he go die in Estonia? And, Car and Kasparov said, that's the same question Neville Chamberlain asked about, you know, intervention with regard to Poland or Czechoslovakia or the Sudetenland. And uh, Tucker Carlson did that laugh again uh, and the smug face. 
I really think that that is is a bad move by by Tucker Carlson. I think he can do better than that. If you're going to make a counter argument, make a counter argument, but don't hide behind the the kind of bemused puzzlement face uh, instead of making a counter argument. Uh, Tucker's way too smart for that, and he should really not be engaging in that, particularly when he himself made that exact same argument that Kasparov made just a few years back with regard to Russia. So it's uh, so that that's a little bit much for me. Okay, final thing. I promise. Final thing that I hate. Uh, so. Alibaba founder Jack Ma came to Trump Tower uh, today, and they and he ascended to the top of Trump Tower, and then he came down. I hear some video of him going into Trump Tower. That gentleman right there, his name is Jack Ma, arrived at Trump Tower. He's about to get into the golden elevators and ascending up to the twenty odd floors. <laughs> Jack Ma, of course, is the man who runs Alibaba. He has a very close relationship with the Chinese government, as do all Chinese business people who have to work with the Chinese yes. government. Interesting you development of Trump's tower. So Ma, obviously, uh, is one of the oligarchs in China. He works closely with the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, he goes up to the top of Trump Tower. He comes back down. And then he says, we're focusing on small business, and we want to support a million small businesses, especially in the Midwest of America. And we want to generate a million American small businesses and farmers to sell American goods to China. We want to have more trade. All of that is fine and dandy. I'm fine with more trade. I want more trade, not less trade. I think the trade barriers are generally stupid. But here's the problem that I have. So. Ma comes down and he stands next to Trump, and they announce together just how much he's going to invest in the United States. All of that is fine and wonderful. What, what, what Ma does, if he decides that more jobs are coming here because he's going to invest because our economic policy is good, great. If there's no payoff, fantastic. What I don't like is the image. And this is not just a critique of Trump. It's a critique of a lot of presidents of the past, but it's particularly strong with what Trump is doing right now. People go into Trump Tower. And then they ascend to what has sort of become White House New York. They ascend to the top of Trump Tower. It's like Isengard. They go up the tower, and they meet with Saruman, and then they come back down. And then the great leader stands next to them, puts his hand on their head, and he says, you have been the, the beneficiary of my benevolence. And the, and the business person goes, yes, Mr. Trump, we've been the beneficiary of your benevolence, and now we're going to make the economy all better, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so here's the problem that I have. The economy does not work by the head of the federal government dictating to businesses what ought to happen. If Ma wants to invest in the United States, he can damn well go and do it. He doesn't need to go and meet with Trump and present this great leader, great business leader, meets with great political leader, and they decide how the economy works. You want to know why people think the economy is rigged? It's because of this. It's because of that picture of Trump standing next to Jack Ma. And right now, they're fine with the economy being rigged because they think that the economy is rigged in their direction. Trump is going to re-rig the economy in their direction. But here's the truth. The government is not capable of rigging the economy. The only thing the government can do is get in the way of a functioning economy. And when you have this kind of image of the great leader standing beside the great business leader, and the two of them will control the economy, he's going to be uh, – Trump stands above the economy controlling it. Obama stands above the economy controlling it. That gives people an impression of control existing at the level of business and government that simply do not exist. All that the economy is is a series of functional transactions between mutually consenting partners, ideally. And the idea that the, the, the head of the government is going to be th simultaneously threatening and cajoling certain companies and that those companies will then come and bow the knee before the great leader and get benefits or get punished, that's dangerous stuff. And it has nothing to do with the free markets. And it trains Americans to think in a way that is counter to the free markets. They think, oh, if the economy is not doing well, it must be because the president isn't cramming it hard enough down on business or because business is willfully disobeying the will of the president. Maybe the economy is bad because... Nobody's innovated for a while. Maybe the economy's bad because certain assets were overvalued. There are lots of reasons the economy goes bad. But when you're looking for somebody to control your life, when you're looking for somebody to give you the image of control over the economy, 
then you kind of fall back on these particular images, and it isn't good. Okay, You shouldn't have this kind of top-down command and control economy or even the image of that top-down command and control economy. Again, I hope that Trump's economic policies are great. I think some of them will be really good. And I hope that people invest in the United States like never before, and we have tons of job growth. But I hope that they invest in the United States on the basis of the policy, not on the basis of the great leader telling them to or the great leader threatening them that they better or he's going to cut off their benefits. Because that's not how free markets thrive. That's how free markets die. We'll talk more about that tomorrow. Plus, again, Barack Obama making his final moves to enshrine Iran at the center of the Middle Eastern power structure. We'll talk about all that tomorrow. But we're so glad to be back, and we're so glad you could join us. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.